Hey, welcome everybody to Spirituality Adventures. We're glad you're tuning into this episode. Uh, we are a viewer and listener supported podcast, so we really appreciate you listening, watching on YouTube. We really encourage you to subscribe to whatever platform you're using. If you're on YouTube, hit that subscribe button, or if you're on Apple or however you listen to a podcast, be sure and subscribe. We greatly appreciate it. Also, make comments if you like it and share it if you like it. We really need people to make comments and share the episodes that you like. And then also, if you're not already a supporter, we really would encourage you to go to spiritualityadventures.com and you can pick a tier and we have bonus content for every type of giver. These are this is a nonprofit, so they're tax deductible donations, but we do provide bonus content for those who uh, are supporters. So be a part of the team, help support Spirituality Adventures. And we're so glad you're tuning in. To Welcome, everybody, to Spirituality Adventures. We're so glad you're tuning into this episode. And today I am excited to introduce you to Evelyn Kiomia. Evelyn and I have only recently met. Yeah. Uh, I went to the what's called the General Assembly, which is basically the national conference for the 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 denomination Disciples of Christ. And they had yeah. their national convention in Louisville, Kentucky back in July of 2023. And uh I met a lady named Ama. How do you say her last name? Zena. Zen Zena. Just, yeah. Okay. Ama Zena. And what was funny was this was, so this was Disciples of Christ is kind of a mainline, um, uh, more progressive denomination in America. So it's an yeah. older denomination starting in the 1800s. And we actually, the music that they had for the national conference was led by a African-American guy who brought together an incredible team of musicians and all that kind of stuff. And they do black gospel and they do contemporary secular, but they wow. would throw in some, some contemporary worship. And one night at, uh, after the, uh, after the main session, which is, yeah. this is fairly reserved group. This isn't like a, you know, like a charismatic or Pentecostal gathering of people, but they started doing a, a couple of contemporary worship songs at the end of one of the meetings, kind of after they dismissed and I see this lady down at the front with blonde hair, like, 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 like a mosh pit jumping up and down. And that's I, very in character. It was the most energy I, I, it was a great, it was a great conference, but I, yeah. I thought, Hey, look there. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to go find this person who's, who's trying to lead the mosh pit at the disciples. <laughs> and it was Ama. <laughs> and Ama is a pastor of a Disciples of Christ Church in San Francisco. I'm not sure. What's the name of the church? Uh, so this is Woodside Village Church. And uh, the funny thing about this uh village woodside is that even people on the on the uh, san francisco bay area and peninsula don't even know this place exists but it's this little village in the middle of the silicon valley like literally on the heart of it um yeah and it has one church uh and it's a christ of um disciple of christ uh denominational church and it's called woodside village church Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. So I met Ama. We hung out a little bit, kind of got to know her and her, 
her world and what's going on. Yep. And then she's like, you need to meet Evelyn, you know? And so I was like, okay. So we, we connected, had a Zoom conversation, and I got so fascinated with the work that you are doing. Thank you. So I'm excited to have Evelyn Kiyomiya with yep. today. And so let's first start, Evelyn, with some of your origin story. Where, did, where were you born? Where did you grow up? What was your family like? And what was your faith tradition like? Wow. There was the Big Bang Theory. No, thank you. Uh-huh. <laughs> Hi, everybody. It's such an honor to be here. And uh, to have two folks gather in, um, what was the place the conference was at? It was in Louisville, Kentucky. In Kentucky. See, right. I can't even pronounce this place's right. name. <laughs> and be talking about me. It, right. it just, I, I'm just like, wait, what? <laughs> oh, I know. The world shrinks sometimes, doesn't it? Exactly. I mean, the the world is is our oyster, isn't it? So, um, yeah. So I'm Evelyn Gonkaman Kiyomiya, uh, and you talk Kiyomiya was the hardest thing that you have to say today. Um, and I uh, was born in a tiny little village-like town called Segela, in a country called Cote d'Ivoire or Ivory Coast, um, and that's on the west coast of Africa. Um. Girl number six, child number seven. So I grew up in a very busy home. Uh, my dad was a vet. My mom stayed at home to make sure that somebody was really whipping the kids because my dad was too tired when he came from work to do that. Uh, so I kept my mom uh, employed. If you stay home to be able to make sure that you can whip a child and then you have an Evelyn, you get a job because every day she'll make sure she gives you a good reason why. Um, and so, yeah, I have, I grew up with sisters, uh, and one brother. And so there was a lot of girls, um, energy and activity going on in the home. So I basically was a tomboy because I was like, I don't want to have boyfriend problems. I'm not interested in the cramps. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to cut my hair and I'm going to wear shorts and I'm going to just climb walls in trees anytime I can. So uh, that's kind of how I grew up. My dad was not a Christian. Um, in fact, he believed in something completely different, which we later learned was actually a sect. Uh, but for what it's worth, he had his spiritual practice set every morning. He'll go into his little prayer room uh, and just go there and meditate. Uh, and then my mother, she actually had an interesting story. She is a child uh, like the only child of her mother which for an african mother is like oh my god like my mom had seven kids that was like the smallest number right so for her to be the only child and uh, my grandmother couldn't conceive was very prayerful she was a prayer woman like everybody knew that about her in the village if you met anybody that talked to you about my grandmother one of the first thing they will say was that she will pray and worship all the time and then the second thing they will say was that she had a very horrible voice while singing her worship song which she very generously passed down to every single one of us uh so we're thank you grandmother i cannot sing thanks to you but the holy spirit is still working on it so that's kind of how i grew up but my mom even though she came from that background she wasn't really into a church thing in fact she believed in you know african traditions and sacrifices and all the things that 
she grew up with in the village. So even though her mother wasn't partaking growing up, she was partaking in these things. And so she uh, felt the the need to keep it as a tradition keeper. So that's kind of like some of the things that we, that I grew up in. I remember going to a Catholic church um, for, for a few reasons. Um, we were really poor growing up. Um, we were okay, but then uh, there was a crisis at some point and we started eating like one meal a day instead of two meals a day. And then if you weren't home, which I wasn't very often, my mom would donate your one meal a day to a poor child, which I was like, have you looked at your own home? We're the poor folks. <laughs> but by the time I'll come back, my meal will be donated. So I often end up at the Catholic church so that I can just eat the crackers that they had. I know it's Corcomanian, but you know, when you're eight and hungry, it's just a cracker uh, and drink the juice. So this is how I landed in church, just getting in to eat the crackers. So this is how I, I grew up. Wow. So you, you had a, a, some type of a spiritual influence in your family, but not necessarily Christian. Is that nope. right? Nope. Spirituality was very much present, yeah. but it definitely was not Christianity, to be very frank. Yeah, yeah. And, and to help me out, was your, the, the village that you're from, was it close to the coast or more inland? We were very inland. So we're from the west part of the country, uh, which kind of interestingly looks a little bit like California, right? So it has the forest, it has the rivers running, uh, yeah, so we used to grow a lot of our things in the backyard. Um, yeah, so we grow our own food. There were trees everywhere I could remember. We ate everything from the tree, from avocado to papaya to mango, uh, just all that kind of thing. Yeah. And would your family have been, you know, if your your dad was a uh, veterinarian, is that what you said? Yeah. Yes, he was. Uh, would your family have been more of a of a wealthy family from this village or middle? Yes. You know, is there, I don't know how it works in your, the culture, in the village you grew up in, was there people who had, were better off than others? And would you guys have been, you know, where would you have been on the economic scale in your village? I'm curious about this. That. This is, this is interesting. So I oftentimes tell people, I didn't know that I was poor until I move over. <laughs> until I moved away and then I moved to America. Then I was like, oh, I did grow up in poverty, but to our standard uh, and up until, so this area of, of the country uh, is bordered with Liberia, right? You're about to learn a lot. Uh, and so up until the war started in Liberia, the civil war in Liberia happened up until then, we were actually considered the rich folks of town. And so um, like, even when we had one meal a day, like, we had a cooked meal that had meat in it, that had tomatoes and oils, and, and half of the village didn't have that. And folks used to come to our house to eat. We mm -hmm. also had one TV, which nobody else did. So they used to come to our house to watch TV. So we were the, the hottest thing in town, right? Um, and we lived in our own home. Like my dad built a, a house and the girls had their own room and the boys had their own room. And so all of this truly, uh, we were the kids that folks talked about, us and maybe two other families growing up, right? And then when the war happened in Liberia, this uh, town and village and all the villages that were surrounding became the place where the UN will post their officers, 
And so then we started seeing folks who had cars to drive to go to work. Because mm-hmm. before then, my dad had a, a motorbike and that was like the thing, right? Uh, so now we had folks that had cars to go to work. And now we had um, folks that would go out to eat at things called restaurants and stuff. So that mm-hmm. opened up a new level of income. But before that happened, we were the rich folks in town. People came to our place to seek for food. So interesting. I The, the country in Africa I've visited the most is Ethiopia. And I've been out into the villages you know, there that have no running water, no electricity, you know, holes in the ground for the yeah. bathrooms and dirt floors usually and yeah. know, grass huts. I mean, the whole, um, but some of the, some of the happiest, most joyful people I'd ever met. So you, you had a few modern conveniences. You actually had plumbing and electric. Yeah, we did. And a TV. And yeah. Yeah. We did. And, and that's because and dad built a home. One good, healthy meal a, a day at least. And, and you were yeah. generous and helped others as well in the community. And Yeah, we did. But, but the interesting thing was that literally across the street from us was the homes that you're just talking about, right? So we had a brick home with a roof over our head and we could hear the rain. And then right across the street were the mud houses with... Okay you know, the, the toilet that was like way far there and sometimes they didn't even have it. Uh, and so, it, it, and my dad kind of liked it because he grew up like that, mm. you know? So you know how sometimes folks will tell their kids, you don't know how I grew up. So for my dad, it wasn't, and my mom too, because they grew up in the village village, right? They didn't have a, a brick home. And so to them, they have built this for us, oh. but the kids from across the street were, was coming over here to eat. So you very quickly was reminded of what life is and what life could have been like having it been for uh, mom and dad doing what they did. Yeah. And what you have six other siblings. Yeah. And were they, were you, what order were you, what birth order? I'm the last child. Oh, wow. Yeah. Which then equates to the most beat up child. (laughs) Yeah. Everybody, everybody's your parent. The neighbors, everybody, everybody who is a, a minute older than you are is in charge of raising you and turning, and turning you into a good person. So in, in your culture, is the oldest the most spoiled or the youngest the most spoiled? <laughs> Supposedly, it is the youngest, but then the oldest one don't like it. And then I also wasn't like a kind, nice, gentle sitting around and being cute kind of youngest. So I ended up not being all that spoiled. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. My young, my three younger sisters think I'm the spoiled one. (laughs) I agree with them. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. They weren't old enough to, you know, to realize the the spankings I got from my dad, you know, right. Exactly. You're like, by the time you guys came around, there were new rules in the country. You don't know that. Yeah. Stop spanking when, when, when his daughters came along, you know, you're like, like, when did that happen? Yeah. How did you all got converted over here? I never got a timeout in my whole life. <laughs> I, I, just, I just got spanked. I'm like, wow. I wonder what that feels like, you know? <laughs> oh my. All right. I, I promise you, we should put ourselves on a timeout. So just, just to feel the feeling because we just don't know it. 
Yeah. It's like if it was bad, you were just smack. That's it. That's what I call meditation today, you know. But anyway. <laughs> See, this is this is why it's taking us. This is why it's taking us so long to to really practice meditation and fall into the habit because we were not put on a timeout. Right, right, right. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So I am fascinated with um you the work that you do with your nonprofit, and then you've got a a uh, a documentary out on your life that's going around at film festivals right now. So I want to get to that, but before, get us from the Ivory Coast to America. How did how did that happen? Oh gosh, I thought we only have thirty minutes. Can we do this in three days? It would be <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah, so I grew up, and uh, so the war started, and then. Uh, 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 the UN agencies, like uh, I think they're called Asia's Rap or something, they came around to town, right? And so, um, so growing up, you know, at some point, my dad, I'm sure, believed in girls' education and putting his girls in school, uh, very, you know, on his own will, because a few of my older sisters got put in into schools, right? Um, you know, so my dad, when he was alive, he used to say, I put everybody into first grade and I'll say, oh, 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 excuse me, not everybody. Because by the time I came around, he was really engraving to the to the cultural beliefs that girls are somehow going to get pregnant. They need to get married anyway. So we should train them from that versus uh, sending them to school. So I used to sneak myself into classrooms and uh, we had one TV and I used to watch things on TV and go, oh, my God, if I could read. If I could write and read, like this would be just a breaking point. Like somehow I was like, I will make it so big if I could write, read and write. Uh, and so when the UN folks came about, I was like, oh, there's a different life than this. And so growing up, I just kind of always um, wanted something different. So I, I sneaked myself into classrooms. I was the shame of the village. Like the, the teacher, right, which will use the $1 fee to get their salary paid, uh, we'll say, Evelyn, kill me on. You, you know, you're not enrolled. Get out of the classroom or whatever. And I'd be like, yeah, you try to get me out of here um, because I just really wanted to read and write. And finally got pregnant at age 16. And everybody was like, great, she's not going to amount to anything. Uh, and also living in a small in a small town, like everybody knows what's going on. But I've just always felt like, you know, I can do a bigger thing. And I just keep pursuing that. Uh, and I eventually moved to the capital of the country, which is Abidjan, uh, and, and established myself and, and got, you know, started my own business. Uh, built you on your own kind of a thing? Yeah. Well, my sisters, one of my sisters was kind of went there to seek to pursue her education. So she rented like a, a, a little studio. So we all moved there with her. It was like a ticket. You were like a single mom when you moved to the big city, so to speak? Yeah. Yeah, I moved myself to the big city with a tiny little, uh, I think, 18-month-old baby at a time. Uh, wow. I know, right? Yeah, you're going to find out. Don't let Evelyn take your decisions. But, um, yeah, I moved there with this little baby who uh, was the cutest thing that you could ever put your eyes on, but was completely a terror. So my sisters are like, we live in this one little studio, all of us with this baby that is literally going through people's things and destroying it. Um we call it curiosity nowadays. <laughs> it was very curious. Um, so we very quickly moving into our own studio that was even smaller than where we were with my sisters. And I found out, I was like, oh, you are a cute little terror, my child. Uh, but 
from there on, I just started building um, a life of like, where can I go to get a better life? And I think my sisters all did because eventually one of my sisters moved to England. Uh, I went there to visit her. I went in December. It wasn't a good idea. I quickly came back and I kept just saving money to see where I could go next. And I've just always wanted to come to America because, um, so if you know anything about African women's hair, we have Afro. And as a hairdresser, um, it's hard to deal with other folks' hair. It's hard to deal with my own hair. But every time I watch an American movie, these women had impeccable hair. <laughs> so I thought if I could go to America, I will figure out the whole hair thing and I would be the most famous person on earth. So I started seeking ways to come to America. And finally, in 2005, I found my way to uh, immigrate to America. So I came. How old were you? I was, uh, let's see, I was 20. 26 years old um, let's say yeah and um you, you had how how old were your kids then at this point so i left my son with my sister for okay. two years uh and when he moved here he was 10 okay yeah when we were able to to reunite after immigration uh policy uh paperwork so and yeah one one yeah that okay. one yeah right. wow and it was the hair that drew you the hair. I just <laughs> really just wanted to have my hair look like their hair. And I wanted to figure out how to do it so I can do it for everybody else. I said, then, hey, if we can do our hair like this, life will just be good. And then how many, how, when you got here, did you find out that it was extensions and weaves and wigs and... <laughs> All right, so be, okay, so so I I gotta share this story with you. You know, are going a little to this bit, know a little bit about. <laughs> yeah, so so I get a visa, right? I'm gonna go to America and I'm going to fix hair. And and one of my older sister, Melanie, was like, "Oh my God, uh, we need to go to the to the to the cyber coffee to or cafe or whatever they call them to find Evelyn a ticket." Because uh, she was starting to to learn how to do that, find people ticket online in the beginning of internet. So we looked this up and uh, she's like, well, if you want to do hair, you need to go to New York. But the thing is, Evelyn doesn't want to be where it snows. I mean, I'm from Cote d'Ivoire, like, come on. Mm -hmm. So New York is out of the question. Mm -hmm. So we're looking at this and she's like, oh, oh, well, you should go to Los Angeles. I mean, duh, like this is where people go. So we look at this and the ticket price was kind of expensive. And then right underneath of it, there's another red dot right underneath. Uh, and the ticket to this thing is literally $500 cheaper. And this happened to be San Francisco. So she goes, well, I'm not sure how much hair doing is going on in San Francisco, but if you land here, you can catch the bus probably for an hour and go over there. And so that was the plan. I was coming to land here because it was $500 cheaper and I had this $500 in my pocket. That's the only thing I had landing here. And I was going to catch the bus for 30 minutes and go to Los Angeles because it looked so close on the map. So you landed in which airport? Uh, SFO. I landed in San Francisco okay. only to realize that LA was not 30 minutes away. It wasn't a $20 bus ride. Yeah. And and yes, everybody else was wearing wigs and weaves and it was not their hair. <laughs> what a disappointment. 
<laughs> what a disappointment it really was. But how wonderful. It's one of the things I love about African-American hair, women's hair is the, all the, all the creativity. It's, it's like a, it's like a creative art project, you know? It really just <laughs> is. It really just is like for, for ourselves and for our sisters and everybody else out there. Uh, and I landed, I landed in, in, in SFO, ended up uh, doing hair for a little bit, actually, in Auckland, California. Um, I used to work out of uh, other African women's uh, salon. And uh, they pretty quickly realized, uh, because what happens is when immigrants, especially women, when they come here, doing hair is one of the things that they very quickly can learn so that they can get themselves occupied. But what these women realized was that I wasn't learning how to do hair because I was in America. I knew how to do hair. I was gifted at this thing. So I became a hot little thing. Yeah, I was because people were like, can you do my hair? Can you do my hair? So yeah, yeah. I pretty quickly got into it and uh, again, realized that it just wasn't different than what I was already doing uh, in my home country. So that was kind of funny. So what about your faith journey? What uh, let's, let's work our way. You're in America. Um, how did how did your faith journey play into uh, as we move closer to the work that you do with your nonprofit and your and the documentary that's out on your life right now running through film festivals help us to how, how did your faith play a role in all of this so again back to me going to catholic church to just eat the crackers and drink the 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 juice that was there at the time um i think when i was uh nine or 11 years old, uh, the priests were probably like, you, you've had too many free food here. You should play Mary's mother in the Christmas pageant. Um, that didn't go well because the girl who has been part of this and was really looking forward to play Jesus' mother um, did something to my dress. And this was my first church hurts because <laughs> she really wanted to play this thing and she completely destroyed my dress and I couldn't play and she was like, I know all the, the, the lines, which Mary doesn't even have a line in this thing. <laughs> anyway, so after I had my child, I think um, I was just longing for something. So I kind of took myself to a church. But older sisters, some of them have been involved into churches. And every feedback that I was getting was uh, very judgmental, right? It was about how my hair looked or how I was getting dressed and stuff like that. Um, because Christianity in Africa is very much filtered through the lens of colonialism and then cultured afterwards through the lens of culture. So what you're receiving, really, it's not the loving uh, relationship with Christ is whatever this person thinks your outfit should be before you can enter a church on a Sunday. Uh, so I wanted to go to church, but I didn't want to go to a church where I'll be judged. Yeah, I've come a long way. <laughs> so I kind of started going to church like that. And eventually, um, God really did a big miracle with one of my sisters who was sick. And uh, we've lost everything that we had. I was running my own business and literally working to, to help take care of her because she got so sick. They thought she had all the things on earth and that she was eventually going to die. And um, somebody approached me and she's like, yeah, I've seen that you kind of go to church on a Sunday, but... Um, you know, prayer can, can heal your sister. And so we took her to a prayer camp and she was miraculously healed by Christ. And uh, I, I think very clearly that that was my first moment of going, yes, I know like this is true and this is what I want to do. So 
I got really involved into church and serving and preaching and going to prison ministry and things like that prior to me moving to America. So when I moved to America, uh, you know, and, and you've been in Africa too, you, you've seen this, like how church works there and how prayer is done and, you know, night vigils and all these other stuff. And I was really looking forward to seeing that in America, um, thanks to the movies as well. I would like wanted people to dance on one foot. None of that. I could not see any church like that. So I was very disappointed to say the least. How can church doesn't look like church on TV? Um, and so that kind of got me down on a pad. But to, to answer your question, like that very moment there of my sister being healed is what got me to really dive into my faith and start getting trained and, and finding myself in the presence of God and folks that I really wanted to be under their, their leadership. And um, was there a particular group that you connected with early on? Or? Evangelical. Evangelical. Okay. I mean, yeah, we, yeah. But I think uh, over here, what would they be called? I think it's Pentecostal. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The fiery folks. Yeah. Yeah. My experience um, in Ethiopia was that every, every denomination looked Pentecostal. Like the, Men so the Mennonites looked Pentecostal. The Baptists looked Pentecostal. The Pentecostal. Yep. Pentecostal. <laughs> yeah. So when I moved here and folks would be like, oh, are you a Presbyterian or are you a this? I'm yeah, like, right. what is that? Doesn't everybody just uh, just cast out demons and just fall in church? That's what we all do over there. Right. <laughs> yeah. Just yeah. a different looking building. That's it. Yes. Yes. And you got to kick the dust up, man. You got to jump up and down on those dirt floors and. Yes, I was talking many times actually. So, <laughs> well, so you'll love this. I was talking to uh, a woman who just got back from, um, I think Uganda or someplace, uh, actually a smaller country than that, but she just got out, got back and she said, what they will do is they will put like a top on the floor. And I was like, how do you, this because all this stepping in the dust and yeah. you know so they, they, they're finding solutions for the dust i think you and i will appreciate that oh that's funny that's funny all right yeah so you're in america you're connected to church you're doing hair what what happens to get you the the nonprofit that you run is called the carrot school project yeah so you can you can say ksp for short k s yeah. Carrot School Project. Yes. Tell us, get us to get us to that, to your nonprofit. When did that start? How did you get a vision for that? Uh, yeah, I did. Uh, but before I got a vision, so remember my sister gets, one of my sisters get healed and I'm just completely sold out for Jesus. And then I moved here and really just experienced all these life challenges that that i'm sure every immigrant goes through you know how to get my paperwork on 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 track learning the language i came from a french-speaking country to uh completely everything uh so going back to school at night to get a degree to be able to work here um paperwork my son joined me and i'm now raising a kid by myself and in the midst of all of this is just like one challenge after another one of my sisters just just passes away. She, she just, it just, you know, she just leaves this earth. And I remember being just so crushed. It was just 
you know, I mean, everything, every challenge leading to that point, I've just been like, you know what, it's going to be okay. And then this happens. And so I wake up one morning and um, I think this was back in my Facebook beginning days. And I'm like, I'm no longer Christian. Uh, I'm no longer, you know, like, it's like everything else out there. I'm just going to go on my own journey uh, and I'm going to do whatever um, I want to be doing. So that got me on a completely different journey out there, um, trying out a whole bunch of other things, which I honestly feel like everybody should go on their own journey and just anyway. So, um, so that happened. And then eventually let me see. I'm trying to think about like how I came kind of back to Christianity, just really figuring out like deep inside of me that this is really where I fit. This is, you know, what gives me the backbone to stand and to be to be strong. And so that's kind of how I came back to it. And when my son graduated high school and he was going off to college, I have been uh, so I went to school, got a degree, was working as a teacher part time and a uh childcare provider for rich folks, which I live in an area with a lot of it. Uh, I was doing that part-time, part-time, and then I left to go work with one family. And with all of this, I'm thinking, uh, do I really want this to be how my life ends? Um, And then my son goes off to college, and I think a year and a half before that happens, I had uh, a healthcare myself, right? And so kind of going through a year of blood transfusion, cancer testing, all the above to see, you know, and and just really having this hard conversation with my son, because it's only the two of us here. Like, you know, if you wake up one morning and I'm not, mommy is not responding anymore. Like, here's your passport. Here's the until call. And here's how you stay here or get out of here, whatever the plan is. Uh, and, and eventually I got better. And then he's going off to college and I'm thinking, am I just here to just clock in at work and catch a check and pay my bills. Like, I mean, this is pretty sweet. Uh, a lot of immigrants know, like your entire family depends on you almost. But I just really felt like there was more. And so I really just started praying to God. I'm like, please give me my mission. Like, what am I to be doing? Um, and so this is really how the Care School Project was really birthed, right? Out of everything else I was doing was just really small and very, you know, spread out. But I felt really like this was on my heart and God just wanted me to um, share my story and, and and just put it out there in a way that could bless a child like myself or a single mother like myself or an immigrant like myself. Um, if and when they need it, because one of the things I realized in my journey was that throughout a lot of my challenges and even throughout a lot of my life, like when I aspire to big things, there was never a model for me to look at and say, you know what, they've done this or they're here. Let me kind of track what they did. And so this, I felt like was a call for me to be able to, to bless other folks in that way. So that's how the Careful Project was created, and that's what I hope that we're doing. What, I don't what know. year did you um, launch the the Carrot School Project? So the Carrot School Project was officially launched on March 16, 2018. 2018. Okay. Yep. Wow. All right. So then, what's the vision? What's the 
what's the mission, the vision or mission, however, whichever you want to pick. So the goal of this is really to create a platform where children who do not have access to education, because that is the number one thing that changed my life and continue to do so. Children who do not have access to education can come in into a safe space and get educated by being uh, loved upon by a group of folks and teachers that are strong believers and can share the love of Christ under this platform, under this format of education. And so uh, we launched it by opening a campus in Côte d'Ivoire. We got 17 students off the street of labor. We even had a girl that has been married off at age nine or eight or whatever, pulled her out of there. And now we have 17 students and teachers. Um, I think at a time we had six teachers and I've promised all these students two meals a day. These teachers need a salary. I promised the teachers that they will eat at the school as well. So they didn't have to worry about that kind of stuff. Uh, and we opened the door. So this, you opened the door in 2018? Yes, in so October 2018. This, this is in which city? So this uh, is right on the, the skirt of Abidjan. And Abidjan is the capital. This is where you land if, you know, you if and when we go to Cote d'Ivoire. Yeah, you, you fly into this place. Yeah. So did you like purchase or lease a facility? Yeah, so we, we leased the facility. Uh, this man was building this place to rent it as separate apartments. And so what they do is that they build a, a, an alignment of doors. So he had five doors. Mm -hmm. And so I rented it and I signed a contract with him that will allow me to take off some walls and make them into bigger rooms to make this into a school. Um, yeah. And so we fixed uh, the walls. We fixed, there was no flooring. We fixed all of that. Um, I bought the chairs and the tables and shipped it over there. Um, at some point when there was no, there's just a brick building. So we needed to kind of make the walls look okay. And then we needed to paint the walls. And I was like, there's no money left. So we went and bought the product and I'm standing over there and I'm painting these walls. Um, and I remember painting walls is something that I always fantasize about. I kind of saw myself in an overall, in an overall, you know, corduroy, cute looking thing, painting cute walls. That was not the case. This was, there was mess everywhere. Anyway, so we painted walls, put tables, uh, and voila, there was a school. And what ages? So because we're a nonprofit and we are catering to uh, children who uh, are being labored or, you know, trafficked of some sort, we cover anything between the ages of five to 14. Okay. So the educational level is elementary educational level, but we have teenagers because they've never been in school and they've been working in a cacao farm since they were five or six or seven. And we can still take them and uh, give them a baseline of education. You're working in a what kind of farm? Uh, so the cacao farm industry, you know, so we get good chocolate bars. Um, that is often time because kids are working to make the, the, cocoa. the, cocoa. the cocoa. Yeah. The cocoa and, uh, Coffee they're, is also a big thing. Like basically child labor to do this stuff. And uh, going yeah. And then yeah. you're, so you're, that's one of the places where, yeah. So how, where do the kids stay at night? 
So the model that we have education and two meals. Yeah. Do they, are they still staying with their family or extended family or parents or something like that? They have to. So when we find a child, um, if we found a a girl, for example, selling items on the street or working in the farm or whatever, we uh, go back to whomever she's living with. It could be a parent, a grandparent, uh, aunt or uncle. Because the services that we have are actually wrapped around services, which means the child gets into a classroom, but the parent, mostly the mother or the aunt or the grandmother of that child, also is entered into a program with us, right? And uh, so currently we're doing agricultural training for the community. We're doing health training, um, reading and writing. So the health training has reproduction and and. Uh, women cancer and all of that. So there's classes that they attend. Uh, and there's also a, a financial education that they get to partake in. So they get enrolled in into a six month program um, while their child is going to school. Because oh. one of the reasons why folks will uh, subject their children to either early marriage or labor or traffic of some sort is that they're often trying so, okay, these children are income providers of their families. That's that's why they're where they are. Okay. And so taking them off, it's a solution, but it's not a, a, a sustainable solution mm-hmm. for the child and the family. So if you want to assure the safety of that child, you need to also look at the family structure and make sure that you're giving them something. And so the agricultural training, for example, um, provides food for the school, for the families that are involved in the community. And it also gives them a skill that they can use um, to secure a job or grow something for themselves that they can sell later, which then brings in income. Okay. Wow. Fascinating. Like how, like, do you have a team of people there on the ground that, that screen and place and, do interviews with the families and all of that kind of stuff. Like you must have um, a team of people, right? Or, or an individual or. We do. We have a very robust team uh, that we have been growing over the last five years. Um, our first director, which was actually uh, my sister, one of my sisters, uh, she's uh, not a director anymore, uh, but we do have a, a director. So our current director, she was actually here in America to visit not too long ago. Uh, she is a PhD in sociology, uh, Marie-Yvette. And so from the beginning, we had a vetting process. And um, this was by myself being curious, but it kind of created a robust uh, screening process. So first we do an interview. And then second, we do a home visit, which is we go to where the child lives and we talk to folks on the market or on the farm or the whatever they were working at. Mm-hmm. We gather information and then we meet as a team later and decide, okay, this girl is actually in greater danger or this one child here really needs to be pulled over here. And uh, every year we recruit kids like that. Interesting. Interesting. And then, so like if a kid comes into your school at, let's say, five or six or seven, you take yeah. them young. We'll, we'll take them. Would they, would they continue in your school till what age? How, how many years would they be in the school? 
So if they come in as seven years old, uh, we're hoping that we will have them for at least four years. Okay. Uh, and so the last four years, we've been testing this um, theory that we have that if you give children a hands-on learning experience, whatever they're supposed to learn in six years, they can learn it in four years. And um, last year, our first group uh, did take the countrywide uh, standardized test. They still do that there uh, and they passed it. And these were uh, 10 out of the first 17 kids that we've taken. So, you know, a child that used to work as a mechanic, we had him. And so now we can say with confidence that in four years uh, of school year-round education, we can filter a child from a plantation into the next level of education that is beyond elementary education. Okay, cool. So um, tell us where where you came up with the name, the Kara School Project, KSP. Give yeah. us what the idea so, that. So I personally believe that uh, each child uh, has the capacity to shine. They're all diamonds that, you know, because I, I was that child, really. Um, I feel like everything that the Care School Project is doing, uh, and the Care School Project works in uh, Cote d'Ivoire in West Africa, but we also work here in the Silicon Valley with uh youths and children who are experiencing housing and financial insecurity. And we advocate for them to be in school districts, to receive uh, programs and all the, the things that they need to empower them for better education. And so, so I feel like- I didn't yes, realize you're also working in San Francisco. Uh, uh, yeah, so we work in the, uh, yeah. So the Care School Project is working in the, in the Silicon Valley. And this was, uh, our local initiative, which we started in the middle of COVID. Uh, if you ever visit us or for the folks who have been around here around Stanford University and what have you, you see uh, people park in RVs. And these RVs are not travelers or people um, looking to, you know, travel around. It really is folks who are trying to get a living around here, but because it's such an expensive area, they're experiencing housing insecurity and they end up renting these RVs and they live in there. And so it's predominantly uh, Spanish speaking, uh, uh, single moms who live in these homes wow. with anything between three to five kids. Wow. Um, and so, yeah. So in the middle of COVID, um, I stumbled upon a family and I asked them if they wanted a book. Uh, you know, I said, hey, because I was designing um, curriculum for my school in Africa. And so I asked this child to say, hey, would you be interested if I bring you books and coloring uh, materials and math sheets? And um, the mom, was, so this was a mom with three kids. She didn't speak any English. I don't speak any Spanish. So the teenager was translating it between my, the mom and myself. Uh, after I asked them what they were doing there, they look at me like, who the heck are you? We live here. And I'm thinking, whoa, okay. Um, anyway, so I asked them if they wanted that. They said yes. And this launched uh, our local initiative. And we spent 18 months giving uh, tablets, uh, connectivity material, books. We gave them food carts, 
so that they can be able to get a warm meal. Because when you live in an RV that is broken down, you don't have access to water, you don't have access to cooking. Uh, And so when there's no school, the kids are hungry. So this program has evolved. Um, Anyway, so either, so both here in the Silicon Valley and in, in Ivory Coast, what we're doing is basically providing the help I wish I had. And so again, I just believe that every child um, is a diamond yeah. that needs to just be put into the right place and the right kind of love and they will shine. And we've seen that happens on both, um, both here in America as it has in Africa. And so that was the thinking behind the, the carrot, right? A carrot of diamond, a carrot of gold. Um, and I felt like, well, if we say just a carrot with, you know, the seed, like it would be easy, but it's also a nonprofit. So you don't own a nonprofit, right? So eventually you'll get a board that will kick you out and you'll say, founder, take your, you know, go home. And so I felt like, well, if that happens, then you'll still have a piece of me. So my last name starts with a K. So I moved the C, I put a K over there. I'm pretty smart. We're good to go. And then one day I'm having a conversation with somebody and they're like, yeah, you know, a higher value of a carrot of diamond actually starts with a K. And I was like, man. My story is no longer interesting. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. it has a better mathematical value. Right. So this is how we got the Kara School uh, project. And I really wanted, uh, the question I get a lot is, why not the Kara School? And the answer to that is the Kara School just alludes to one school that is in the place and it's done. Mm. But the Kara School project is a project that allows through education for us to be able to look at how the mothers are being um, considered in within the the program itself or how things are happening like in the United States the program we run here we don't have a school so it's a project right so um, that that part was really important to me that we don't stick it to to one place you know either to one person or one place or one time yeah 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 so um so tell me about the the documentary that is now going around the film festivals. So you have a it's a documentary on your life called Fear Not, right? And by the way, what's the uh, website? Where, what's your website? How can people find uh, Carrot School Project? And then uh, uh, tell us about the the documentary. Okay, so uh, Fear Not, the documentary, um, can be found on our website. There's a whole page dedicated to that. Uh, and the website is the By the way, ASC. I tried to watch it, and you can't watch it yet, right? No, you can only see the trailer. Right. I saw the trailer, and I kept trying to find how I could watch it. But right now, it's only being released in film festivals, Right. It, yes, it is only being released in film festival. Uh, yeah, so I get my five seconds of um, <laughs> feeling like a celebrity there. Yeah, you can only see me in select places. Uh, <laughs> but if <laughs> but if you go to uh, the KSP.org, that's T H E K S P for Paul. dot org, yeah, you can find out about myself and what we do both here and internationally. And um, fear not in some of the things that I have done. Because another thing that people don't know about me is, is that I'm also a children's books author. Mm. Um, yeah, which is, again, all part of this as a mission, putting the, the, the story out there and really showing 
girls, especially uh, brown girls, that the challenges that we live today, because every human has a challenge, it really is a key to how we can change the world. Mm. And that's, that's everything that I am as a leader. Today, when I go to service the RV families, uh, we go around there a lot during summer with water so that they can have clean, drinkable water. I chat with the mothers in my broken Spanish. And I often tell them, I know poverty because I grew up in poverty, but I don't know what it feels like to live in an RV because I never had to, right? But I've been a single mother who didn't know how to get her child in college. I've been a single mother who didn't know what were the programs that were around to help my kid do better in school. And uh, so if I'm in Cote d'Ivoire, I was that girl that couldn't go to school because she was a girl and needed to be cooking with mom so that she can get married early. And I can tell now these moms that education will change your child's life. It will change your life and it will change the next generation because I have a child who is back in school for his PhD now um, because one person educated just changes the whole demographic for the future um, for the future generation. So anyways, go to the website, whole bunch of fun stuff, I believe so. And you can keep track of everything because a lot of things happen around here, a lot. So the, your, the documentary Fear Not is, has, yeah. has, is premiering in film yeah. festivals right now. Is it is. It is. We're going to be this very weekend, we're going to be at the Silicon Valley African Film Festival. Okay. Very cool. And I think next we're also going to be, uh, it's showing uh, in Florida somewhere. Uh, I won't be there, but it's showing in Florida. Uh, and it's also showing locally here at the UN Association Film Festival as well. So, And do you sometimes uh, show up at these film festivals? I do. I just got back from LA and here I got an award and I brought it back home myself. Yes. Tell us about yeah, it. Yeah, I did. Uh, about what, the film or the award? The award. The award. Which one? The, uh, the award. Both, both, but yeah. So, so the film is, um, so Annette King, who uh, started the Spicer Film Company, she, again, wants to highlight local he heroes who, unsung heroes, uh, who are doing big things and uh, nobody knows about. So she did her first um documentary on uh, Mike Mataje and she was presenting I think the trailer at the local Kiwanis club and when she was done speaking three or four folks got up and they're like if you ever met a girl named Evelyn Kilmian you should meet her so see people talk about me in my back <laughs> and I love it yeah, right. <laughs> because it gets me in rooms like right here with you Fred and it gets me to uh, Fiona. So she emails me and I think at the time I was back in Ivory Coast. Uh, so I got back and connected with her and she started, she says, hey, can I follow you um, around when you're doing things? And it, I was like, sure. So during the summer camp that year, she followed me and, and kind of filmed on her cell phone and she told her entire team, she goes, we have got to move this to production. Um, and so they started following me around here as I do work locally. And then last year when I was flying to Ivory Coast, 
they flew uh, a, a cinematographer there as well. Um, and they hired some local folks and had the whole team going and they were running. That's one thing that they all still talk about, how fast Evelyn Kiyomiya moves and how nobody can keep track of her. So, right. uh, but apparently they were able to do so and they they put it together in a very meaningful way. I mean, I've seen this, this documentary before uh, they finish up the production, but I remember just sitting in that room in LA last weekend and it, it came on and I could not hold my tears. And I had a few friends, a few local folks who flew there to see the movie and nobody's makeup remained intact by the time we were done. So I think they've told the story in a way that I will never be able to do myself. Wow. That's cool. Then yeah. you won an award. And I did. <laughs> I did. Tell us about your award. I did. So uh, apparently I'm now a humanitarian award. <laughs> yeah, um, you're talking to an award-winning humanitarian. That is awesome. Whatever that even feels like, but you know, this was from the North Hollywood Film Festival. Yes, and they awarded you their humanitarian award. Is that right? Yes, they did. That's they, awesome. And 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 um, Gustavo, the man who runs this thing, he was able to do a speech before they even announced the award, and he said that. Um, They've never given out this award before, but after reviewing Fear Not and um, finding Ubuntu, the other documentary that was showing, they just really felt like beyond, beyond the quality of, of the production, the folks in the documentary needed to be acknowledged. And mm. so they felt like, they really needed to to make it a point to let the world know what we're doing. So I thought that was very meaningful and very sweet. Um, and yeah, I cried during the showing. I tried my best not to cry during the award. And hmm. I think I was successful. I don't know. That's awesome. So how long before we can watch it on, you know, like how long before I'm going to see this? If I don't, make I don't know. Maybe, maybe we're coming to to a film festival near you very soon. Uh, and the Splicer Film but, Team, but it's incredible. So we have in Kansas. Exactly. Yeah. If you guys have a film festival in Kansas, oh, we've got. Uh, please let us know. And one that they do that's that uh, Adam does at the Screenland. See, there you go. That's Let's talk pretty, to Adam. Get there though. That's like a. That's like a B film. Uh, horror film. <laughs> we have a Ooh. runs a horror film film fest in kansas city <laughs> hey i think fear um, not my fit right than, in there there's more than there's more than uh, than that one but anyway we, i think i think fear not my film my fit <laughs> right in there so um there you go but yeah well that's so how about how about this we'll say coming near you soon right coming near you soon fear not all right yes well, that's amazing. Thanks so much for taking time out of your schedule to uh, be with us on Spirituality Adventures. And I am, I'm just, uh, I love hearing stories like this. They're inspirational to me. And it's, you know, you come from a, such a challenging background and to see how God can transform that and use all of that to uh, touch people and bring bring goodness and beauty and love to, to these, uh, places that are, that are, uh, under-resourced and 
That's beautiful. Thanks for, I like to say, thanks for being the hands and feet of Jesus, right? Yeah. Well, thank you. That's literally what we're trying to do over here. And, um, Thank you, Fred, to you and your entire team for what you guys are doing. So I have been uh, listening to a spirituality adventure on YouTube okay. uh, now is one, is, is one of the things that I'm listening to. And I really love the diversity of voices that you guys are bringing to the table. Uh, and I remember the last episode I was listening to, I, you know, kind of got choked up a little bit. And I was like, oh, my God, can I actually do this podcast? Uh, <laughs> my little moment there, like, whoa, this guy is Big thing. Um, so I'm glad hear, that you guys. Did you hear the one with, uh, I just released last week one with Don Stevens, who's the founder of Mercy Ships. Oh, I haven't. Oh my God. I, I have to go to 1978. He's in his 80s now. But oh uh, that was really fascinating. You know, the, these are floating hospitals that, that uh, you know, lock yeah. ports in Africa and do free surgeries, dental health services, you know, to the under-resourced all around Africa and some in Asia too, but, uh, yeah, check that one wow. out. Oh, look how incredible that. that is. Yeah. I have to go check it out. You get so many incredible voices and incredible journeys and it's so encouraging to see that, uh, you know, cause oftentimes we go through these things, especially with our spirituality where, um, we either can say it and have the places we are, or we think it's just us. And I just really feel like coming on here, I could say, you know what? I haven't been all Jesus in my whole life. In fact, I've went down this route and then came back here. So thank you for creating a safe space and a, a pretty cool space, I think. All right. Well, let's see here. Matt, we're going to check out film festivals in Kansas City. See if we can find a place for fear not. That would be fun. <laughs> Anyway, but yeah, thanks so much for that. Would be fun. That would be fun. Thanks for uh, all the work that you're doing. And uh, again, just say one more time the the website so that people can find you. Thecareschoolproject.org. T H E K S P dot O R G. T H E K S P dot O R G. Evelyn? Yes, the Care School Project. Kiomia. Awesome. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Spirituality Adventures. We'll see you next time. Au revoir. Thank you. <laughs> hey, you made it to the end. Thanks for listening all the way through on this episode. By the way, if you're not already a supporter, go to spiritualityadventures.com. Sign up for one of our monthly supports and you will receive our bonus content. You'll receive lots of interesting information about our guests. Many of our musicians will do special bonus songs and record a song. So I want to encourage you to do that. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Be sure and subscribe. Be sure and share any of the episodes that you like. And be sure and make comments if you like them as well. This helps us uh, get spirituality adventures out there to more listeners, more, more watchers. So whatever platform you're using, subscribe, like, share, make comments, and go to our website, sign up for our team and be a part of the team support. Thank you so much. And we'll see you next time.